Hey friends, welcome to the Church's Changing Podcast. This is Paul Nixon, and I am here with my friend and colleague Michael Beck, Michael's director of UMFX, that's United Methodist Fresh Expressions. He's also an author of multiple books, including the recently released Five Congregational Personality Types. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy to be with you. We've been together working on the Path One team. I mean, I say together, we live in different parts of the country, but we run into each other a lot for about a year and a half now. That's right. We do. We make trouble, make holy mischief all over the place. We do. We do that. And you are sort of like me in the sense that you're a moving target, but I think you even have a more intense travel schedule than I do. And you're joining us today from Sacramento, California, and I'm on the East Coast. So have you ever felt like the Apostle Paul with your lifestyle? Uh, yeah, and and uh, feel a lot treated like he was by the by the inherited institutional <laughs> church. <laughs> well, fresh expressions is a term that gets thrown around a lot these days, and so I wanted to visit with you about that and what you're seeing and how it's changing and what's getting clarified. I, I'm going to guess just because I've been in the work of new churches for two decades now, I'm going to guess that 90% of what we're doing in terms of new places for new people would cut, would sort of fall under the umbrella of this. But just to start, what's a fresh expression? Yeah, and the way that I like to talk about it simply is it's a form of church for people that don't go to church. Okay. Kind of the textbook definition is forms of church for our changing culture established primarily for the benefit of those who are not yet members of any church. Okay. But it, I, I, it's really a movement of the Holy Spirit that goes by many names. Mm-hmm. And so we could look at like the base ecclesial communities and Central South America. We could look at the microchurch movement. But the, the particular movement called Fresh Expressions started in the Anglican Church in the UK, British Methodists. And you, I know you coach a lot of those folks. I do. And that movement started with the 2004 Mission Shaped Church Report. Bishop Graham Cray kind of chaired the working party for that report, and it just uh, acknowledged that traditional forms of church and inherited-only church planting is not really going to be fruitful in this change missional reality, so that we needed fresh expressions of church, which comes from the Anglican Declaration of Assent to proclaim the gospel afresh in every generation. Well, it's become, a, it's become apparent to me we really need we really need this kind of a movement because so many of our conventional starts have really floundered in the last 10 years compared to the way they thrived before. We really got started with this before that was apparent to me at least and apparent to many others. So I'm glad some people were seeing what was coming mm. and sort of got this movement rolling. Yeah. Of course in the UK there there're several decades ahead of us in terms of the change around public attitudes toward religion, you know. Mhm. But I've been surprised how fast it has taken sort of a center stage in the work that we do in terms of creating new places. Yeah, for sure. I I like to say, you know, our friends from across the pond are from our future, not not just, you know, time zone wise, but 10, 20 years ahead of us and the decline of Christendom and secularization. And I think Charles Taylor, the philosopher, has some helpful language around you know, living in a secular age in the imminent frame, which means we dismiss the possibility entirely that there's a God who can act and intervene and move in history. 
And so Fresh Expression of Church are saying, you know, God is present in every aspect of creation before we get there. We can kind of join into that. But Paul, what I've appreciated about your work is you've been integrating the Fresh Expressions idea and journey into the more conventional kind of church planning. Because as you noted, that kind of church planning is not going great. You know, parachute, drop, get a building, fill it up with people. But how you've been bringing that listening, loving, building relationships, starting with that journey first and having churches spring out of that so important. Honestly, I've been learning from the FX movement. And sometimes in the, at least within British Methodism, it's called pioneering. Same thing. Mm. You know, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. And I will say about our, our British brethren, both in the Anglican community where there is some amazing people the, and the Methodist community, some amazing people, they really are, have, they really have done some pioneering work for us. Yeah. And we are better off because they've gotten this ball rolling and they've learned some things. Absolutely. So why UMFX? We've had a Fresh Expressions movement going on for a while, but this is new that we're now really sort of focusing a, a specific Methodist Fresh Expressions. What, what's, what, why UMFX? Well, a couple reasons. The biggest being there's nothing more Methodist in the world than Fresh Expressions. <laughs> it's like a recapitulation of early Methodism, field preaching, small groups, discipleship that takes people through a journey of waves of grace, church happening in normal rhythms and times and spaces, speaking plain truth for plain people, empowerment of laity, sharing their personal testimony of God's transfiguring grace. So all of that. But in the United States, there's been the FXUS organization, which has been a primary kind of instrument and mover. I know both of us have been involved with that organization. But we still needed like a distinctly Wesleyan theological way to think about fresh expressions and to kind of own our our Wesleyan distinctives around the movement. So to help integrate it into our system. So it's not just some organizations that we're like hiring to help us, but how do we really become a movement of fresh expressions within United Methodism? Where, where do we kind of celebrate those things that are distinct? And so we've done things with FXUM, like our, our missional values, for instance, are that we're inclusive, accessible, connectional, and transfiguring. Those are four values that are really important in our polity that flow from our our graceful understanding of God's mission and church. And it helps us kind of reframe the conversation where mission has been thought about as dominating and, and where it's gotten caught in these theological pigeonholes, either super conservative or super progressive. Or And so we're, we're trying to strip it free of all that and just really join into this Wesleyan way of following the Holy Spirit. And it's very contextual from place to place. The The kinds of fresh expressions that might pop up in and around Ocala, Florida, might be mm-hmm. different than those that pop up around Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. and, and or not. I mean, it just really depends on the people group, you know, what's the culture. Right. Yeah. I've got this saying that I've been kind of testing this year that that I really think our, our crisis right now within the church, and that's Methodism in all the churches, is a ministry design issue. We really have de- we've designed ministry containers and strategies for a time when they made sense and they've worked and they're not working. Mm-hmm. And it seems Fresh Expressions is a is an attempt to step aside from old design and ineffective method and to start again 
with the gospel and the people mm. and to try to help them get to know one another. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're trying to follow kind of the, the playbook of Scripture and Acts and where we see a highly responsive, emergent movement of new Christian communities and the structures of the church are born out of that mission as we cross boundaries and move into new spaces and follow the spirit into that. Then we organized around what God was doing, where, as you said, it feels like a lot of our structures, our containers feel like they were formed in that 1950s, 60s church growth paradigm. And the metrics. Oh, I'm thinking, are, I'm thinking 16th century even, but, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Reformation, proclamation-centered, you know, Gutenberg galaxy. Villages in Europe where there was nothing better to do. When they rang the bell, we all came to the church on Sunday at 11 o'clock. That, that's, you know, we're still kind of there, you know, in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yeah. And so this is this is not, not abandoning the good parts of the inherited church. I do want to say that we believe in this blended ecology of church, that those traditional inherited forms— when they live together with these emergent fresh expressions, there starts to be this symbiotic relationship that, that helps both of them be uh, flourish and grow in new ways. Uh, like Jesus says, you know, the old and new wine skins can't put that old wine in new skins and vice versa, but you need both the fresh stuff and the vintage stuff and different kinds of containers. Right. But, the same gospel, and as you said, the people, and how that encounter kind of happens. Okay, so you use the terms fresh and vintage. Uh, let's go with that for a minute. How, okay. how, are the, how are the fresh and the vintage getting along these days in your experience? The, the established churches, which are you know, really scared right now, because all of a sudden, after the COVID, they looked around, they'd lost another third of their people, and they already were, were, were in crisis. And so they're kind of in an existential, what are we going to do mode? How are they getting along, or or, or do, are they threatened by FX, or do they see it as an opportunity? Well, let me let me answer like a dance floor and a balcony response. Okay. So on the dance floor in inherited churches, like the one I currently serve, my wife and I, there is always a tension to be managed. Mm-hmm. My inherited folks are seeing, hey, this is fruitful. It's reaching those people. That's great but it's not necessarily packing butts back in our pews on Sunday morning. And so we get those questions around, Hey, when are those people going to come to real church? And I'm saying, Hey, we just baptized several people last week at the tattoo parlor or the rehab or the Tesla supercharger where we're gathering. (laughs) And that's part of you too. They'll probably never come here, but they're an extension of, of our ministry here in the inherited kind of center. And then I see that from a, like a balcony view across institutionally, organizationally, I see that same kind of tension, but it's, it's magnified greatly because we still have these structures, these metrics that are measuring what success looked like 50 years ago. And that's not caught up with what the Holy Spirit's actually doing. And so we're trying to put people through these ordination processes that are primarily not super effective and not aimed at, the kinds of folks that are going to be doing this kind of church planning and work. And then the organization itself hasn't, because these things aren't necessarily going to be great revenue generators or build buildings or any of those things, but we still see that as success. So these new forms of church are probably not going to look like what we've thought of as church. 
And I think the institutional impulses to exile it or ignore it or try to control it rather than, than see how we can learn from it and join into it and reorganize our life around what the Spirit's doing on the edge. Number one question I get about all this in my work is, when are we going to see their money? <laughs> What's your answer to that? Probably never. Like it used to. <laughs> not, not like it used to be, but the really exciting thing about this, you know, in the gig economy where people are working multiple hustles and jobs and this, speaking as a clergy person, it frees me. I don't think these things are going to be sustained by plate donations, right? So we have to get entrepreneurial and creative with how we fund them. And the aim of them is not to build a building and it's maybe not to have professional clergy, but to empower lay people to start their own little faith communities. So all of that. So the, 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 just the questions we're asking about finances, like plate donations coming in to fund the full-time salaried clergy and all that, those kind of things are, are really shifting and changing. But we can use our space. For instance, at St. Mark's, we turned our church facility into a shelter for men experiencing houselessness called Open Arms Village. We turned our parsonage into a halfway house for men who graduate that part of the program. Those things give us state funding and, and grants and things that we can access to meet a need in the community. And I think church property can be used. That's just one example. But in many ways, to create different funding models for, for church and clergy can work multiple gigs and side hustles and be out in the community and, you know, cultivate a faith community at the same time. And the 25 year old who got baptized last week at the tattoo parlor, one day he or she'll be 60 mm -hmm. and will have had a pretty good career. And, you know, the, the economy may have been good to them. They finally got out from student loans and they made some good investments. They worked hard. And if they're discipled, they may throw loads of money into ministry, you know, later in their lives. That's one of the things that I just say, you, you know, people are on a journey. And right now they're, they're, they're drowning in a, in a really rough economy to be a young person, you know. Mm, absolutely. But once you're discipled, you get excited about giving and it's not a program. It's just something that happens to you. You know, it's just, it's part of the, if giving at least to something that's, that's life changing and world changing, not just to support, you know, a slate roof, you know, on a building. Can I share an example of that? Yes. So like in burritos and Bibles, which is a church that happens in a burrito joint, we met for a year together and our little community grew from like four to 20 to 30 people gathering. We study Jesus stories. We have communion. A year into that, somebody said, hey, this is my church, right? Shouldn't we take some kind of offering? And it, inside my little pastor, inside my heart was going, yes, finally. All right. Yay. But so we, we dumped out the chips and salsa basket. And now we pass that at every gathering and people bring a little collection. And then we decided as a group and we said, hey, so what are, what are we giving to? And then together, communally, we discern that. And because the Wild Ones had really planted us and were significant in helping us start, this group decided, let's send this back to the Inherited Church that kind of birthed us. So then that became a little income every week that I can go back and celebrate with the Wild Ones. But yes, as people are in that journey and they mature, bringing tithes and offerings come to that. But I think sometimes we, we want to start with that 
in our conventional church planting and way of being church. And people are like, oh, yeah, here we go. Church always asking me for my money. And then they're just like in the in one Sunday and never see him again, you know. And you're on a journey. How did you, on your journey, get to this place? Why are you so deeply invested in creating places for people that don't want to go inside old church buildings? What? How, how did you get here? Yeah, it, it flows from my own kind of life experience that I was deeply formed and nurtured by an inherited church. I was pulled out of the gutter by that church. I was an orphan, a street kid, adopted by my grandparents who kind of dragged me there. And I had a really beautiful formative experience in the inherited church. I was loved and nurtured and, and all of that, but then took a detour in my life away from that ended up in juvenile detention a lot and then jail and all that. So I know that world very far from the church where people church is not even on people's radar at all. It's not even a conversation. And part of me has never been able to let go of how do I reach those people where I used to be that are just never going to come. So that's why I started just kind of instinctually. And Paul, you taught me this, you know, in a coaching call one time where you said, how do we stop trying to buy our own ingenuity and energy start stuff? And how do we join what the Holy Spirit is already doing? Mm. And that shift of posture of like us starting stuff to like, what is God doing and how do we join into that? That's always been kind of my thing is like looking at the wider community and saying, people really like to get together in this little barbecue place in a hole in the wall up in where my first appointment was in the middle of nowhere in Florida. What if we started gathering with those people eating really good barbecue and talking about Jesus for those people that are never going to come on Sunday morning to the kind of weird, you know, for them, traditional thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just been trying to hold those two worlds together, that both and way of really loving and cherishing, trying to serve the inherited church and starting these little things with people outside of it. So the, this movement is is still ramping up. And since the pandemic, let's say since 21, when life began to normalize again after a very weird year, what are you learning on the ground? Did anything change in this work? I mean, because I think culture kind of changed through that time. But are, what are you learning in the last couple of years with this, just in your own practice of leading communities? Yeah, I think COVID was a pretty major blow to Fresh Expressions, too. It wasn't just the inherited church. Like, we could no longer gather in the tattoo parlor. Obviously, we could no longer get get in that burrito place. And I discovered really quick that people form get like traditionalists about things like really fast. Like mm. people in the tattoo parlor were like, we can't do this without, you know, to, the, the community wasn't as deep as I had hoped it would be. And some of it was based around the practice and the stuff that we do together. Now, some of those relationships bounce back and everything. But what I'm learning mostly is that what was left was like a remnant, a core group of really committed followers of Jesus. The people who were who like middle of the road or kind of in, but not really, they just have not come back, even in the fresh expressions. Mm. And so we've had to restart with these groups and learn. we learned a lot about online church. And that's not just about streaming worship, right? but actually gathering in online space. So we have... Right. Living Room Church VR, which gathers in headsets in the VR space. We learned outside Fresh Expressions really had an advantage. So like Dog Park Church, we could social distance. We were outside. We could wear a mask. 
you know, meeting at EV superchargers, those kind of things. And you were in Florida, so that was an advantage, you know, through some of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we only have one season, so we don't ever have to shut down for winter. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And up on the balcony, you're now you're now teaching. You have a program at United that you lead, United Seminary. You're supervising and kind of overseeing a movement that is in many places within our denomination. What what's becoming clearer for you in the last couple of years at that altitude? What are you seeing? Yeah, I'm actually over here in Sacramento working for a congregation for you today. So yeah, you are. The balcony view about all this is it's really exciting to see a seminary and more seminaries are in this conversation right now. Say, hey, this is kind of I think something we need to include in our curriculum, our training for pastors, because one of the things I hear a lot. We know we graduate seminary, we go and we have this assumption like, oh, I'm going to be sent to churches for one. One of those assumptions is that there'll be people there, but that's not necessarily (laughs) a given, right? Not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. So I got to be a missionary. I can't just be a pastor anymore. I can't just be a professional minister. I got to be a missionary pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do we integrate that into our seminary education so that what people aren't going out there thinking, oh, if I just do really great preaching and, you know, if I'm awesome at systematic theology, that, yay, people are going to, or even pastoral care, that my church is going to grow. That's not necessarily true. We need to be able to do those things and go and share the gospel with people outside the church and form, you know, contextual inclusive communities with people outside of it. So denominationally, it's really exciting to see you know, Discipleship Ministries, Path One, kind of creating this Fresh Expressions movement and energy. It's exciting to see so many conferences wanting to partner in it and offer training in it and really help churches think about it. But it's also that that tension, right, is, is are we willing to learn from what is happening and see that we're going to have to make some pretty big institutional adaptations to help this thing flourish even more. Without revealing too much about the church where you're working, you're working with a really neat group of people. It's a church that really is running out of people at the moment, but they're beautiful. It's a multi-ethnic church, several different ethnic cultures that came together intentionally to be church together. Hmm. And one of the words that they've been using as they, as they ponder their future is the word of midwifing. Maybe we could help to be midwives, to be in the labor room helping to birth the next thing. Hmm. What could you say to the inherited church that's interested in midwifing something? It's beautiful imagery and language, and I think it's actually the most important thing that we can do. And I think what the tension really comes down to is this idea that denominations have this impulse to self-preservation. And the gospel of Jesus is about self-donation. It's about breaking pieces of the body off and giving it to the world and letting go and trusting the spirit and our, our all of our institutional impulses to preserve and defend and double down. And so the midwifing, giving giving birth to raise the dead, I like to talk about it, that, that it's through that self-donation. It's through planting these little, you know, I call Jesus' parable of the sower, the, the parable of the reckless sower. You know, Jesus is just, the sower goes out throwing seed recklessly everywhere, all over the place, and seeing what grows. And anybody from the Cedars Union 
who's there hearing this story, they're going, this is a terrible story. You don't just throw seed everywhere. You know, you cultivate and you fertilize and you do neat little rows and you plan it all out and use a causal logic vision statement and structure and you <laughs> get the best out of your, right? And just say, no, the reckless sower is just throwing the seed everywhere, all over the place. It's going out, it's landing here. And then we, we kind of learn from where it grows and what, what the Spirit's doing. So that's that midwifing, self-donation, throwing seed everywhere. But it's not necessarily easy to do in an institutional, denominational kind of structure. But, but I have to believe that there's a way that can happen. Like I believe the early Methodist movement, John Wesley, Susanna Wesley, who I call, you know, planted the first fresh expression ever in her kitchen. <laughs> so she, she was really the first fresh expression pioneer. But the, there was this opportunity where the Anglican church and this Methodist movement, they could have had this symbiotic relationship. They could have lived together. And, and who knows what the future would be. But there was tension there, right? The field preaching was inappropriate. The, these vile Methodists doing this crazy stuff. And, and they kind of broke apart. And I hope that's not what happens with this movement and the established United Methodist Church. A lot of those Anglicans woke up. They're running ahead of the Methodists in many cases today. They they really they really caught up over the years. Yes, yes. I have this image of the church as a sailing ship, and we've been in a thick fog. We can't figure out what's going on. The world changed. Stuff we used to do isn't working, and it's just like, what's going on? We have not a clue what's going to be like in 10 years and so forth, and we're just in fog. And we're just sailing through the fog mm. cautiously, and all of a sudden, boom, there's land in front of us. And I have this sense that land is going to emerge for some folks. I, In my own analysis of things, I'm starting to see some land, and it's not my imagination, which is kind of the beginning of seeing the new world. What are you seeing? Are you seeing land? Yeah. And first of all, I love your metaphor because we are in that fog, right? And so we've we've used a lot of causal logic thinking, long-range strategic planning, those kind of things. How do you do long range planning in a fog? You know exactly, exactly. So, so what we can learn from these fresh expression entrepreneur innovator uh, types is they use this effectual reasoning process, where they don't have everything figured out. They just kind of say, "Oh, we're going over here. We've got some pieces over there. Let's follow this, cobble this together." And through that effectual reasoning, they start with what they have and then they create new things. Think like design thinking, people-centered, and it's short range, it's experimental, it's iterative. Let's try this little experiment. Let's head this way for a little while and see where we go. Oh, we learned from that. Don't want to go that way. Let's try this way. And that's kind of when you're moving through the fog and you can't see, you, you don't have a long range plan. You just, can we try this experiment for three months and see what happens? And my church people are like, oh, you know, what's the plan? And I'm saying, well, let's follow the Holy Spirit. Let's daily together communally discern the Holy Spirit and see what the Spirit's doing. They're like, well, what's the plan? And I'm like, that's the plan. But because we're so wired to that, just that one way of thinking. But yes, I think we've hit land. We're finding some things out about emerging generations and and what church is to them and how they want to lead it and how they want to be a part of it where lay people are awakening the priesthood of all believers and they're getting involved, doing really exciting stuff. So I see really great signs of hope in all of that. Like we've hit something, or as as Graham Cray says in his beautiful British accent, 
I do believe we've caught a wave of the Holy Spirit. Let's try not to fall off, he told me. <laughs> so let, let's do that. We found some, we found a wave, we found some land. Let's, let's just try not to get off of what God is doing. That, that's my big thing. Having raised a surfer and then surfed with him one time in Hawaii, <laughs> if, you, if, if that's where we're going in terms of metaphors, you're going to fall off again and again and again, mm. and you just get back on. You just get back on. You can't, it's, it's, it, there's nothing, perf- there's no perfection in surfing. It's just constant striving. Mm. And the, every wave is different than the last one. That's good. I, I have a friend who has three express expressions. She's a pastor going on her porch. One on Tuesday, <laughs> the patio, the Parsonage patio. It's out in the front yard. Everybody can go there. It's very, yeah. There's one on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And there's more people on the porch now, I think, or the patio than there are at the, the church on Sunday. But a lot of what she's doing in the West is kind of detoxing people from their church allergies and their apprehensions hmm. about what church is or experiences they've had or what they heard in the media. There's just a lot of recovery. I don't know if it's trauma or just fear that people are having to work through their stuff. Hmm. She feels like, you know, those groups are going to go somewhere, but... In starting, there's not, it's not even a prayer-centered group. It's just letting people talk. And there's three different kinds of demographic themes you know, to her, her groups. I have a sense that that's going to be very fruitful. You know? Yeah, yeah. One of, one of the amazing things about the Fresh Expressions way is it's, it's kind of trauma-informed a way of being church. So you're starting with listening. You're creating a safe community where people can articulate their struggles, their fears, their past church harm experiences. I think it was Willie James Jennings who in his, you know, the the Christian imagination talks about kind of this this all these entanglements of structural racism and segregation and all the things that that the the harm, the trauma of that the church has caused across the ages and we're stuck in an imagination still that doesn't get us out of that kind of framework. So these ways are, are, we're creating a safe community. People can articulate their, their traumas, their experiences. They're, they're tend to be inclusive communities where all are welcome. They're, they're belonging before believing communities. So we just want to create belonging, you know, believing will come at people's own pace and and time and, and rhythm but we're just really focused on those relationships and loving on each other and creating that depth of relationship and then seeing what God can do with that. Beautiful. So before we go, tell us about the book, Five Congregational Personality Types. What's that about? Yeah, from working with lots of inherited churches and realizing, even in my own, that we have to have something healthy. So when people do connect in this fresh expression and in their they want a journey back and see what traditional church is all about, that we don't like re-traumatize them, right? And a church has to be healthy at some level to create something healthy. And so the five types was just noticing these different congregations. So it comes out of three main things. One, the five-factor model in psychology, which is called the big five. It's a replicable psychological tool that's been used across cultures, and it's the main uh, assessment that psychologists use for personality. And in that test, you know, it has those main traits of agreeableness and conscientiousness and extroversion and openness and neuroticism. And then I said, oh, that's actually the apest, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, 
which are archetypal humans, right? But then when we come into Christ, the Holy Spirit breathes on those personalities and uses us. And they laid right over the five traits, like evangelists are super extrovert people, right? Apostles are openness people. They're open to new ideas and possibilities in the spirit. Prophets are usually neurotic, either high neuroticism. (laughs) True. Yeah. Stay stay with me. Like Jeremiah, he's crying and weeping and whipping himself. But then you have like low neuroticism prophets, Jesus, who weep and they're emotive, but they feel things, but they're not like a Jeremiah type. And, And so then you have like the, you know, teachers who are usually conscientious, teaching the principles of the faith and passing that down. And then pastors who are usually agreeable shepherd types who are trying to create community where everybody's nurtured. And so that's that. Oh, so when you look at congregations, they have these personalities. And a lot of times we'll go in and we don't really know the personality as a clergy. And we just start doing our thing, operating in our gifts. And we haven't taken the time to learn the personality of the congregation or vice versa. And so if we know our strengths and our, our personality type, then that shows us also our shadow and our dark side and our places where we have areas for growth. And so the book and the assessment was a way to do that. So we have healthier churches that can plant new little faith communities all over the place. Cool. Well, that sounds like something that I would enjoy reading. So I, it's on my list now. Cool. Michael, thank you for taking some time. And you are a moving target. So I appreciate you slowed down for an hour. And this has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Paul. I don't know when I'll see you again, but along the journey, maybe maybe in October, I think we're supposed to cross paths. So That's right. Yes, sir. Well, blessings to you, and thank you for the work that you're doing among us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for listening, everyone. So this is the Church is Changing podcast. I'm Paul Nixon, and I'm, I have had a conversation today with Michael Beck, who's the Executive Director of UMFX, United Methodist Fresh Expressions. Church is Changing is a ministry of the United Methodist Church. Church is Changing podcast is a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Music is by Sanjay Singh. Visit all our podcasts at podcast.umcdiscipleship.org.